0: You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris-style podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Orr and Shotgun Spratling.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud podcast. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined alongside Shotgun Spratling. What up, what up? Today we're going to be talking about USC football. They're taking on the Cal Bears. Who who exactly is that, Shotgun
0: Ooh, sound effect. California Golden Bears. <laughs> 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 it's like a very frustrated uh, bear there. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here?
1: <laughs> Shotgun is control is in control the the soundboard today, so watch out. There might be a lot of... <laughs> There's going to be some shenanigans for sure, so watch out for that. But we're going to be talking about USC taking on the Bears. We're going to be kind of talking a little bit about what happened at Oregon State. I was there. Shotgun was not, so we'll be breaking that down. But as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Boom. You can also email us questions and submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who's done that. We appreciate you. Shotgun, this is the, the second time I believe this season where we have been in separate places. For the game I got a ground view you got a broadcast view what did you see from uh USc against Oregon State
0: uh definitely the offensive line played much better you saw that they were able to open up big holes there was kind of a bubble on a lot of plays where the offensive line created the semicircle where they got some push and they you know opened things up basically like a swinging door for the offense the running backs to run through and there was Oftentimes, where they did not get touched to five, six, seven, eight yards down the pl- down the field on some of these plays. So, uh, you know, I thought the offensive line was really good in this game, opened up some big holes, and that's how that's what happens when you get a two hundred yard rusher and a hundred yard rusher in the same game. That's how it happens with the offensive line taking care of business. And you know, USC let Oregon State back in um, to the game, and then they kind of pulled away a little bit later. But you know, they didn't put it away it put in, put Oregon State as away as early as they could. But they did enough to get the win on the road. You know That's important in a chilly environment. You said you were really cold up there.
1: It was pretty cold. It was colder than I expected, so I did not prepare well. That was the issue.
0: Yeah, I, I was kind of heated in my apartment <laughs> because there were too many people yelling and talking about the best burgers in L.A. when I was trying to pay attention to the game. You invite people over, you you, you got to understand it's my, it's my fault, my need. You know, I didn't invite enough people over that were invested in the game to be paying attention to it. So uh, next time I have to kick them out, boot them to the kitchen or something so I can pay attention to the game more.
1: No one's going to be watching for that, you know, very intricate detail that you're watching for Shotgun. <laughs> you're not the average football watcher, that's for sure.
0: I'm not the average California Golden Bears. <laughs> no, you don't know uh, Boo Boo? Not the average bear? Oh, no. There's still some picnic baskets?
1: No. Oh, yeah. My mom used to say that, uh, but I never yeah. watched it. But shall we get the stock up, stock down? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, you already you already hit the nail on the head. USC's offensive line definitely performed so much better. I think I told Shotgun I was so shocked to see as much push, the circle, the little bubble. It was just amazing to see USC's offensive line just manhandle people.
0: Yeah, what, one of the plays, probably, it was only like a five or six yard run, but one of the things that, that stood out most was one play where USC was on the left hash and they run a play to the left. All five linemen were at the numbers or outside the numbers. You know that's how much of a push they got. You know, pushed the defense basically to the sideline on a play. Not Cedric Ware picked up five or six, seven yards on the play, uh, cutting it up. But you know, it was just showed what they were. You know, how more, much more active they were in this game. First game under Jim Drevno. Uh, you know, him taking over for Neil Calloway after he was relieved of his duties. You know, first game with Clay Helton calling the plays as full time uh, offense coordinator. You saw some differences there. Uh, but you know, the offensive line was. Really really... really good and led by Chris Brown. I got Chris Brown on my stock up. You know, he graded out as the top offensive guard in the country. He was mauling folk in this game. You know, they pulled a lot in this game. They pulled with both uh, guards. They pulled with a tackle every once in a while, but you saw a big difference when it was Andrew Voorhees, a sophomore pulling versus You know a red shirt senior and Chris Brown. Chris Brown was getting out in front, and and, you know Tim Drevno called said he was heavy handed. You know he got it when he got his hands on people, they weren't going anywhere. You know he he laid some pops on guys, and he was making it look so easy on some of them. We pointed out one play in the film study. You guys can check that out uh, later later in the game where he pulls on a play and wraps around and he's blocking a guy. It looks like. It looks like a practice rep to him yeah. because he just like it looks like a walkthrough rep. Like he's just barely touching the guy and the guy's not going anywhere. Uh, so I thought he was uh, fantastic in this game. Started with him and you know Toa Lobanon did a really good job on some pin blocks and some different things. Uh, so those two guys in the middle is where it started. You know Clay Helton said he thought that both tackles Austin Jackson and Chuma Doga had their best game. So the offensive line as a whole was really good in this game. But Chris Brown in particular, I thought was was fantastic.
1: Yeah, Chris Brown has kind of been the unsung hero of the offensive line this season. I think that he hasn't gotten as much credit for his consistency. He's definitely been the best one. Um Chuma Dogo, but I think Chris Brown is definitely the the flies under the radar radar in that sense. And as well as stock up for the offensive line, I think having Tim Drevno as a mouthpiece for that position group to me, it made such a difference because we actually got to talk to someone who could give us some details, could give us some information on what's happening in that position group. What, what's the mindset? What are they trying to do differently? What do they see from Cal's defensive line? It just getting some information from that coach. When, when I was in Tim Drevno's scrum this week, I was like, wow. This is actually informative, because before when you, we didn't really try, I mean c- kudos to you, shotgun, you definitely tried to talk <laughs> to Neil Calloway, but when we tried to Neil, talk to Neil Calloway, you didn't really get anything from him, if anything it was very defensive, so all you had to speak for the offensive line was their play which a lot of the time wasn't that good so now that you have someone who's talking about hey, they feel better, they're doing this you get more of a mindset I think you have a better feel about this team and about the offensive line, so I think having Tim Drevno as a Mouthpiece for for that position group definitely helps.
0: Yeah, definitely. With Neil Calloway, even when they were, you were trying to do positive stories on players, he just didn't give you much information about what they were doing well. Uh, so it was you know kind of trying to figure it out yourself exactly what was going on on the offensive line. Uh, whereas Tim Drevno, you know, talking about you know who he thought played well, he, he talked about Chumadoga as well. He talked about Chris Brown. You know that group played really well in this game, and that's how you have you know two guys go over 100 yards, but one of them go over 200 yards. Akecetric like Ware was fantastic in this game as well. I haven't even given him enough due credit. You know I don't even have him on my stock up. Wow uh i you may maybe you have apparently
1: i have usc's running backs okay. I said, said and vi both for their career nights 205 yards for oxedric where first time he scored three touchdowns in mm-hmm. a game Shouts to said Set. Sed's a guy who you just really want to root for he's such a nice guy talking to him after the game he was like i hope i get the game ball like he's just so <laughs> like soft-spoken but so nice and so you root for a guy like that yeah,
0: definitely. He's a you know a friend of the program, uh, as they like to say. Uh, we, friend of the we, pod. <laughs> yeah, we really enjoy uh, Arcusendric Ware and you know what he's gone through uh, to get his opportunity this year. And even at the beginning of the year, people didn't want to give him the credit. You know, didn't think that he could should be the guy. That he could be the guy. He's showing that that uh, he is perfectly capable of that and doing against a team other than Arizona. You know, he's yeah. killed Arizona every <laughs> Wild game this year. Wildcat killer. Uh, so uh, he he did really well in this game. You know, he was fantastic. He ran pretty well. And you know, the offensive line opened up big holes, obviously, which always helps. But he was, you know, they got some tough yards. Him and Vi both, you know, they were not going down on first contact. Ocuscentric ware actually, I believe, is still leading the Pac 12 in yards uh after contact per attempt. He's, you know, I think it's up to like four point seven after this game. Uh, you know, he's been really good. You know, and and when you you know, I pointed out to you last night when we're watching the game, uh rewatching the game, but when you when that first contact is two yards past the line of scrimmage and then you get 4.7 yards or 4.8 yards, all of a sudden that's a seven-yard gain on first down. That's huge. Whereas before the offensive line when they were struggling – He's getting two, hit two yards behind the line of scrimmage, and then it becomes a three-yard gain and a second and seven. Second and three versus second and seven is really huge, and that was kind of the, the difference in this game. The offensive line got pushed, and when the offensive line plays well, this team has played well. Um, so I, I think the offensive line, I've said it several times, they're the key to this team.
1: We have, as a, as a pod in general, we have said this over and over again. Yeah. and it looks what actually happens once, the, once they play well.
0: Yeah, and Oregon or- or- State's not a very good team, but you know, the offensive line played really well, and, and that's what the- – This team is capable of when they play well.
1: I had stock up on Christian Rector. I thought he was all over the place. He was um,
0: a monster this yeah, game. Yeah,
1: he was all over the place. Of course, the, this whole podcast is like the caveat is Oregon State, but he he had a great game. Although his his snaps actually decreased this game, correct?
0: Yeah, so USC used more 4-3 looks, you know, with actual, with four down linemen. So Christian Richter's kind of that hybrid, you know, because he's filled in that role for uh, poor Augusta in the last two years. So I call him more of a hybrid defensive end, outside linebackers. That's more the position he's playing on the end of the line. You know, USC actually used four down linemen, guys that are the defensive tackles, defensive ends in their system, rather than Christian Rector, when they went to their base defense. And they dropped Jordan a back some of these plays, so it you know, gave a true look of a 4-3 defense. On those plays, Christian Rector wasn't in the game. You know, I asked Clancy Pendergast about it. I was like, did you like the rotations a little bit? You know, they were different in this game. Did you like them, you know, using a complete different group? Because the first group, the defensive line, uh, when they went with four down linemen, that base alignment, it was Jacob Lichtenstein, it was Jay Tefele, Marlon Tuipeleoto and Malik Dorr; those are the guys that started the game. Jacob Lichtenstein gets his first start of the game, uh, and then uh, Christian Rector didn't come in until the third play of the game when USC went back to their nickel. Uh, so it, it it was he was just being used in the nickel situation for the most part. And USC didn't play a ton of base in this game, but getting those reps off. I mean, the first quarter, Christian Rector only played seven snaps. They played 16, 17, and nineteen the rest of the game. But I think it it kept him fresh. You know, he played the most snaps of any defensive lineman, but I. I think just having those extra reps off. So they played 77 defensive snaps. He played 59 whereas you know the last couple of weeks he's basically been playing all but maybe two or three or four snaps a game, and they were trying to use uh, Connor Murphy in there to give him a little bit of a breather. I think Connor Murphy had three snaps in one game and six snaps in the other. So that is the only snaps that Christian Rector was getting off. So I think that uh, USC gave him you gave him a couple extra plays off. And Clancy Pendergast even said, you know, it looked like it, you know, it really worked well for him because it looked like he was fresh late. You know, he had a couple of late sacks as well in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, contributing. He was a part of four sacks. He was credited with 2.5. You know, he was in on three different one and uh, a, you know, three different half sacks. Uh, but you know, he was fantastic this game, but not only in the, in the pass rush, which the pass rush, I thought as a unit, they were really good. Yeah. You know, there was a couple of those sacks where, you know, he might have got a half sack, but it was where they were running twister games and guys were taking up blockers to free up Jake Tofele. Jake Tofele was a man beast in this, you know, throwing <laughs> guys out of the way. Um, so I thought the defense line group was really good. Um, but they did it together. And, you know, he ends up with a two-and-a-half sacks, but he also did in the run game. You know, he was throwing guys out of the way and coming down, you know, scraping down the last scrimmage to make some plays in the run game as well. That was one of the things. The defense, they said coming in, we want to stop Jamar Jefferson, who came in leading the Pac-12 and rushing, leading the Pac-12 in rushing yards per attempt, I think, and rushing touchdowns, I think was the graphic they had during the game. <laughs> um, so, you know, all three kind of the trifecta. I think he was the only running back in the Power Five that was leading all three of those categories in right. their conference. So... You know, they. You know, that was the bulk of their offense. USC took that away. They they really stopped. They stymied the the rushing attack and uh, you know forced Jake Luton to throw more. They, they Oregon State threw the ball pretty well the first quarter. I mean, the first half and the first drive of the second half. USC made some adjustments and they took over.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about this as, as a tangent into our our little segment right now. What do you make of USC's defensive performance? I know a lot of people were upset that Oregon State was moving the ball as well as they did. Um, but, like you said, they limited Jamar Jefferson. And we said coming into this this game that USC is going to try and limit their main target. So, uh, what do you make of... It's a successful night, but again, it didn't look as great as it could have.
0: Against a team like uh, Oregon State, who you think you're going to get a lead on, I like selling out to shut down the run. There were several run blitzes as well, which puts your guys in man-to-man coverage on the outsides. But I like shutting down that run, being more aggressive towards the run uh, in the first half like they were, because if you would get up on a team like Oregon State, you expect... Okay, now you're ahead 21 nothing, or, you know, if you have a 21 point lead in the second half, they're going to have to throw the ball. So now they're not going to be able to run the ball anyways. So I think you try to take away that, that rushing attack early and then go from there, uh, in the game. So I like the, the, the scheme of it. Now there were some things that they didn't do early that, you know, they made the adjustment later. Maybe it take a, took a little bit too long to make the adjustment, uh, as far as, uh, you know, stopping some of the short in-breaking routes, the slants, the ends. You know, they even run a, a couple of posts and crossing patterns. But you know, Oregon State. I looked up the number. Was they the first half and the first drive of the second half? So they scored right before the half. They scored right after the half um, to make it twenty-one fourteen, I believe. Um, through that drive, they had connected on 12 in breaking routes where there'd be slants, ends, those, those ones I was talking about. After that, they made, USC made an adjustment. They moved their corners up, their, their slot guys, the safeties when they were covering, they moved them up a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. They played a little bit more of uh, bump coverage, uh, you know, press coverage. And after that, they allowed one in breaking route the rest of the game. So that shows you the adjustment. They may not, maybe the adjustment came a little bit late. Maybe it was just because that was when Oregon state finally got some offense traction and they decided that's when they needed to make a, a change. Uh, but you know, I thought defense did, did enough. I mean, when you hold a team was it, 38 to 20, that's fine. USC's basically been holding teams to 20 points for when they're, when they're playing well, that's what the opposition gets. You know, they got 20 points. Uh, Arizona had 20 points. I think, uh, uh, the game after that, they gave up 20 points uh, to Colorado, so it's been a pretty consistent number for them. You know, when they win games, they they hold teams to 20 points.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting talking to Clancy Pendergast after the game. He see, I know on Twitter the reaction is always freaking out about everything that happens that doesn't look amazing, but Clancy Pendergast is pretty calm about. I mean, some of the reporters were like, "The slants, the in, the in routes were working so well. Uh, what was happening?" And, and then he was kind of like, "Yeah, yeah, it worked, but we we figured it out." Like, it was just such a classic Clancy response where he was like, yeah, but nothing really came of it.
0: Yeah, and and he talked about, you know, moving Emile Marshall across to the other side. Yeah. Um, So that was one of the adjustments they did was that, you know, they were throwing the ball really well to the, the right side, I believe it was, which is easier for a quarterback... You know, to come out of your stance and make a quick throw is if you're throwing it to your right as a right hand quarterback. So, to make an adjustment to that, they moved Iman Marshall that side because that was what they were hitting him with. And that's what Clancy said. It's like there were a lot of, you know, the the players, uh, the defenders weren't prepared for how quickly the ball was getting out. You know, that's not exactly what they had shown on tape before. So that's something they had to make an adjustment to is how quickly, you know, they were trying to attack with, you know, a lot of quick routes, you know, a lot of slants, a lot of, you know, quick outs, you know, different things like that. So USC made adjustments to, to play more press coverage, but also they moved Emile Marshall over that side so that he could be going against, you know, where they were throwing the majority of the passes.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Clancy said, I, we noticed that they're throwing more to the left side, and I've seen that movie too many times. So it was like, ooh, Vern from clancy but <laughs> it props to him for making that adjustment at least who else do you got on stock up
0: uh stock up i got jo- uh, jacob lichenstein uh, you know
1: yeah, I, yeah yeah i talked
0: a little bit about the four down line he made his first start uh you know he ends up playing a career high he played 36 defensive snaps you know he was in there he didn't make a huge impact as far as being in there but he's just showing that they're having more and more confidence in him you know he's worked his way up you know he, he barely pra- played uh, during fall camp, he was injured for a lot of fall camp, and you know he was kind of an afterthought. No one really thought about it. Richard, freshman out of Florida, he's a three-star guy. No one's really talking about him at all, and he has worked his way up to where he has become a contributor. He's on their pass rush unit when they go to you know third and long situations and stuff. Uh, but now he's getting involved more and more uh, in the regular you know the regular uh, play and you know the early downs um, of of drives and stuff.
1: My final stock up is USC's Pac-12 South chances. I thought it was over. I thought it was it was never over. Cue cue (laughs) the notebook. Uh, Now it looks like it depends on what happens with ASU and Utah. I mean, Utah lost Tyler uh, Huntley, and so who who knows what happens there? ASU they both have to play Oregon. Who knows? We could be back at the Pac-12 Championship.
0: Yeah, if USC fans want to be, you know, want to be rooting for Oregon because, uh, you know, Oregon plays both Utah and Arizona State. USC needs a loss from both of those teams, I believe. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of tiebreakers right now. I think it's was it four way tie or three way tie? Three way, I believe. Three-way tie at the top. Arizona's right there as well. I think one team has played one less game, or, or yeah, has. I think Utah has one less game than USC so they,
1: needs ASU and Utah to lose a game.
0: Yeah, that, that's what needs to happen for them. So root for Oregon because that's the best chance for that to happen. USC obviously has to take care of business against Cal and taking it against uh, UCLA. So they got to they got to go through the they got to bear through the bear portion <laughs> of their.
1: <laughs> well done,
0: California Golden Bears. <laughs> 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 they got to they got to uh, through there.
1: Yeah, but then go to UCLA. It's such a more intense bear. Yeah, it's a much better bear UCLA here. Bruins. Yeah, that's a better Which bear. is weird
0: because the Bruins are baby bears, so. We got to work on the sound effects here. I guess so. We'll blame Ryan for it.
1: Yeah, always blame Ryan. That's the key. <laughs> Anything else for stock up? <laughs> that's
0: all I got for now. Stock oh, up. Uh, oh, oh, I thought I thought you would talk about it so I put it at the bottom of my list. Devin Williams. Yeah, that's true. Obviously. Yeah, you know, you had not had a catch I've complained about it several times. Throw, so
1: have I throw
0: him a short pass and let him, you know, give him a little bubble screen and then, you know, let him get his feet wet with that. No, they just every every route they've thrown to him earlier in the season has been a deep ball. They did it in this game as well. They threw him a deep ball. He's nowhere close to the ball. Uh, you know, he kind of gets run off his route. Good job by the DB on that one. But then it's third and sixth they throw because Michael Pittman gets injured. Michael Pittman's questionable for not only this week, but next week as well. You know, Clay Hilton thinks he may be back next week. Steven Carr was injured in this game. So some injuries as well, uh, which we maybe we'll get to on stock down, but Devin Williams comes in and has to play more reps. They throw him a short pass. He catches it, gets the first down and then they're able to build on that. They get a deep ball later in the game. He catches a slant and takes it. You know, he makes a guy miss gets a 29 yard gain. He ends up being USC's leading receiver in this game. Wow! Um, So the freshman comes in and, you know, Making the most of his opportunities, finally get him a short catch, and then it go, and then things will progress from there. That's what I've been saying all season, and it finally worked.
1: It Finally worked. All right, now stock down. You're stock
0: down. I'm going with Oregon State. I mean, they're okay. just they're just a bad team. So that's why it makes it difficult wah, to get wah. too excited about a lot of things. And I think Jonathan Smith has that program heading in the right direction from where they were last year, but they're they're bodies in the trenches are not very good. USC was able to get penetration a lot. You know, they I think they're leading the Pac twelve and sacks allowed uh the the Oregon State offenses and USC was able to run the ball at will against them, creating huge holes. So I think Oregon State is stocked down. So you can't take too much away from this game. Is it is a positive sign, yes. Is it okay, everything's turned around
1: no? No, not yet. No. Yeah. That's why if you're gonna make a change like Clay Helton did, Oregon State week is the good week to do it. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, sound effects. <laughs> I had stocked down on USC's killer instinct. We talked Ooh, about yeah, how USC hasn't really blown on a team, I guess, under the Clay Heldon era. Um, so this was an opportunity, and I know now stepping away, the score seems a little bit better, but I know the Twitter meltdown that happened during the game as well, and I think maybe it was a little too close for comfort at times for USC fans. So maybe getting that killer instinct in there. Maybe it will ever happen. I, I don't know. I don't think it'll happen the
0: rest of this. This is why you don't uh, go to the message boards and freak out during the game. I mean, USC goes up 21 nothing. Yes, it's the greatest team ever. USC gives up 14 straight points. And, you know, after the fumble, Oregon State had an opportunity. They went for it on fourth down twice in a row. Really weird sequence. Third down, they third and seven. They run the ball and then they try this fake field goal type of thing.
1: Fake is highly questionable. It was so obvious. I
0: mean, they they lined up in a field goal formation and then shifted to a regular formation. Great job by Jacob Lichtenstein, who we talked about a minute ago, uh, applying pressure on that. Also, also it was fun to watch Austin Jackson be a pass rusher on that play. Uh, but you know, Cam Smith was all over it. If he would have caught the ball, he would have taken it for a pick six. So it was a really weird play call there, but then the next time down the field, the Vi quote air quotes fumbles because uh, I didn't think it was a fumble, uh, but you know they get the ball back and they have an opportunity. The defense shuts them down again. They give up one yard on first down, no yards on second, third, or fourth down. Uh, so they get off the field there. Whereas if they would have, you know, if they would have been a drive on either one of those and they scored, it would have been twenty-one twenty-one then. Uh, so it would have been a much different game in, in that regard. But USC, immediately after that, after the defense gets that stop, said where it goes 62 yards to open things back up.
1: Who else you got for Stockdown?
0: Tight ends. I did too. We talked about uh, Devin Williams' touchdown catch. It was a beautiful ball by JT Daniels, perfectly thrown right to uh, Devin Williams in it. Some pretty tight coverage. thing is, he didn't have to throw a perfect pass because if he'd have thrown it to Josh Fallow, Josh Fallow was wide open over the middle uh, and, you know, Ryan told us uh, on the live show that Clay had said that, you know, that that play was designed for the tight end. Well, if it's designed for it, throw it to him when he's wide open. Uh, I mean, there, it, that's an easy, he's walking in for a touchdown because there was no safeties deep there, which is why Devin Williams had the, you know, it was man to man coverage. He had press coverage, which JT had told him, you know, earlier in a timeout, he said that, Hey, if you get press coverage again, I'm coming to you. I'm going to do a quick, you know, uh, fake on the play action. I'm going to throw it out there, let you go get it and that all worked out. However, when you have wide open things, you have to take advantage. Yep. Cuz you're only going to make so many perfect plays during the game, so you should take advantage of the easy ones when you have the opportunity. And then yep. there was there's a later opportunity, USC has third and 4 before they kick a field goal that, you know, stood out to people because it swung the uh I think it swung the uh point spread towards USC's favor. Um, but before that, they had third and 4. They run a play action waggle pass, you know, they you know, we have Devin Williams on the left coming across the formation at the top, you know, deep route, and that's where JT throws it. And there's some different things that Devin Williams could have done maybe to to help out JT on that throw, but it ends up being an incomplete pass. Well, it was third and four. The other routes on that play with JT rolling to his right were Josh follow basically at the sticks wide open running in the in the flat and then even Eric Roman hook about eight, eight to ten yards deep coming across the formation he was open as well if JT uh, puts his foot in the ground and, and throws a strike but the easy throw is just to toss it out to follow pick up the first down you keep the clock running on that you don't have to take the you know the aggressive throw to the end zone on that that JT did so I think the tight ends you know it's not JT's prerogative to check down as much he's going to go for, for the deep ball so uh, so the tight ends have become kind of an afterthought when he's uh, he's the quarterback.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's why when people say, oh, the tight ends. like I mean, there is some plays for them. Um, it's just a matter of JT seeing them and actually throwing them.
0: Though a positive for the tight ends, Eric Cromenhook came in late in the game when they were running the ball, blocked really well, especially on a couple plays that opened up some you know, 15, 20-yard runs as well.
1: I had stuck down for USC's defensive health, Seems like the secondary is pretty banged up right now. Iman uh, Marshall did not practice this week. Uh, Clay Helton said that Iman Marshall told him, like, coach, I'm going to play against Cal. But Clay says they're going to do right by Iman and uh, do whatever the doctors say should happen. Uh, it seems kind of like a coin flip at this point. Not sure what happens there. He did uh, some
0: running yesterday, so that's a positive. I mean. When you speak about, Mar- he said that he was going to play. Well, Marvel Tell told me before the Arizona State. Yeah, I'm definitely playing. I'm definitely playing. He did not play.
1: Whoops. Yeah. So not, not, not everyone has the Port Augustine pull, I would say.
0: Can't always take the players, uh, at their word for it because they don't always have the final say.
1: Well, technically, Helton did say that, uh, Marvel had the final say. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he said, "Coach, I can't." I because Marvel Mar- was cleared by the doctors. Did not realize that. Mar- yeah, Marvel right. Mar- said, "I I can't do it." I yeah, don't he had some
0: some stingers in his neck, and that's always you know, that's a very uncomfortable thing. One because you know it's uncomfortable just in itself, but that's also you know the neck is a very dangerous yeah. uh, part of the body. You injure that, you can be messed up for a long time. So
1: yeah, that's some serious stuff. Yeah,
0: so you should be very extra cautious with that. So I have no problem with him sitting out that game if he wasn't comfortable in it. But yeah, uh, that was one where you know USC you know had some some big pieces missing and they could have some big pieces missing in this game too that game you know they didn't have Cam Smith in the middle they didn't have Marville Tell and it showed with some of the the long runs they gave up and stuff so this game it's the secondary though there's so many guys banged up there because not only did DDMR Marshall leave the game with the ankle foot injury but Greg Johnson comes in for him and Greg Johnson leaves the game with a shoulder injury uh, and we have not seen him at practice this week so we assume that he is not going to be available on uh, on Saturday. They actually had to bump out Jonathan Lockett from the Nickelback spot. They, you know, bring, you know, it's like musical chairs here. Agené yeah. Harris moves down from safety back to Nickelback. They bring in C.J. Pollard and C.J. Pollard had played one snap up until that point and did a really nice job on a blitz game and got a sack. So I, I don't know why they, you know they've been so hesitant to use him. It looks like he you know they used him earlier in the season and I think it was in the Texas game, uh, where he played you know a career high number of snaps. So I don't know if, if how comfortable they feel with him being in there. But you know if Emon Marshall's not back, I think you're going to see Jonathan Lockett outside playing cornerback. Where he has not really played in four years, I think.
1: Yeah, he told me yesterday, uh, he came in as cornerback, but he said it, it feels foreign to him. He's been splitting reps at corner and at nickel this week. He said he was like, I still don't know where I'm going to play. Granted, when he got the start against, uh, ASU, I believe, uh, he didn't know until a couple hours before the game on Friday. Um, so he's, I guess he's used to being thrown into the fire, but he said it feels kind of foreign and watching him, if it's, you can see it, it's a little foreign to him. Um, but, I mean, Elijah Griffin, if he stays healthy, probably will get some time there as well. We saw ITS, Isaac Taylor Stewart, come back um, and actually practice a little bit. Same with Chase Williams. Ronnie Bradford spent a lot of time with them on Wednesday. Um, Clay Helton even came and watched both of them work out for a bit. So it just seems like at that corner position, there's a little bit of desperation based on the way that they uh, worked at it during practice. So I'm a little curious how that works. But the interesting thing is that Clancy Pendergast said, like, these injuries are... Making me realize a little bit that like maybe there should have been more rotation. Like maybe a guy like Jonathan Lockett should have been in the rotation a little bit more based on how well he's been handling being thrown in with all these injuries. So it, it makes you curious, like what happens if you put Jonathan Lockett in the Texas game for a JNA or something like that?
0: Yeah, I don't know. And well, Jonathan Lockett didn't play great early in the season. He struggled with his tackling, which is, you know happens when you're coming back from an injury and you haven't played in game situations. So that's something where you've got to get those guys a little bit more game uh So they get used to tackling, get back to it. And that's the same thing with young players. So you've seen some of these young players play. Elijah Griffin, you know, is, is probably the one guy that's going to get more playing time if he is healthy and cleared to play. You know, you, you could see him at corner. I don't think you'll see ITS. You know, I think he was still. You know, he looked pretty limited with that ankle. He still looked, looked like a little lebado about it. You didn't think so? He
1: moved well. I was surprised how well he moved. I thought he moved better than Chase did.
0: I thought he he moved fine in the drills, but then when he's like walking around, like he looked like he still had a limp. Interesting. Uh, okay. So I don't know if. You know that's adrenaline. When he gets in the drills, he's fine. But then you know it starts feeling afterward. But more importantly, uh, or more not necessarily importantly, but more relevant is that he's already played in four games. So are you mm-hmm. going? You basically have to decide whether or not to redshirt him now.
1: Is it's a guy that will use all of his
0: eligibility though? Uh, maybe, maybe not. I mean, but. I mean, did you really think the Biggie coming out was going to use four years? Not necessarily, but if you had an extra year, you know, you see what that extra year did for him, you know, the the fourth year compared to staying three years. A guy like Jonathan, you never know if a guy's going to get hurt later in their career to where they will use the red shirt anyway. But I think at this point, when he's not, you know, he's played four defensive snaps this season. I mean, he's played a lot on special teams you need guys on special teams, and he's been really good for them there. But he's only played four defensive snaps, so why would you use that red shirt if you you know that's how much he's playing? So in my opinion, I would not play him. So I don't think that they will. But we'll, I mean, we'll see. Especially if he's not hundred percent now, are you going to use him for the last two games and maybe the bowl game?
1: I at that point just use Dominic, Dominic Davis. Yeah, you know,
0: you could, there's several other guys that you could use in that situation. I mean, you can use Elijah Griffin. If, you know, if he's not already on the field, I'm saying like that.
1: this like bodies are falling at this point.
0: Yeah, but I, I'm I'm not referring to. Use him on defense. If you get down and you need another cornerback, then I think you'll see him in. But I don't think you're, like, he's not going to be a rotation guy this game. No, no. You're not going to use him in there and Jonathan Lockett and Elijah Griffin. I don't think that's going to happen. Chase Williams still has two games, so, you know, maybe if they need a body, I think he's a guy that they can still use. You know they're they're mixing that match in trying to keep guys underneath that redshirt rule which is interesting you know I, I think it's kind of fascinating to see how different teams are using that redshirt rule and how they're kind of using that. I talked to John Baxter a little bit about it. You know, it was kind of interesting just hearing you know his thoughts on you know how they're trying to use those guys and use the four games as much as they can. Uh, but you know I, I think the defensive backs that's a that's the main thing to watch on that defense side this game. Going into the game who's gonna be healthy who can play? Iman Marshall has been fantastic this season. We used a I used a lot of numbers on the the live show. I have a lot more numbers in the story uh, uh, later this week. But you know he's been really really good this season, and you know if you don't have him, that opens up things for that Cal offense that hasn't been great.
1: True, that's all I got for sockdown.
0: All right, let's go to Hurt it. Since we're talking about Iman Marshall, uh, you know I I thought that. It was really good of him this week, seeing him at practice. He was actually coaching up the other players, and that's something – uh, th- he's done in his career, but it, I think it was it it showed the leadership and maturity of him. He's not a captain, but he he is respected in that uh, uh, DB group like a captain. He's the captain of that position group. Him and Marvell Tell kind of combined. Uh, but you know, Raymond Scott was actually playing a little bit of nickel this week. They're trying to you know kind of trying him out there, which he's a kind of mobile linebacker. He's played some you know he played in space a lot at Narbonne High School, so I understand why they're trying it out with the the uh, dearth of uh, bodies. Have at the, the DB's position, but Biggie was right there coaching him up, talking to him, hey, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. So it was really interesting to see him, you know, coaching up some of the other players and, and taking the time to to work with his teammates, even when he's injured.
1: Yeah, that was definitely interesting to see. Um, I, it was interesting to kind of get the vibe of the team. I was very, I was, I was trying not to overanalyze it, you know, swing too far, like, oh, Tim Drevno does this and Neil Calloway never did that. Uh, but it was interesting seeing Neil Calloway's, or I mean, Tim Drevno's approach. Uh, with O line, it seemed like guys were more, they were more on the edge of their seat in the huddle. You know, Tim Dredno seemed to uh, be a little bit more instructive, a little bit more, uh, I don't know if gentler is the word, the right word, but it seemed like guys were like, okay, we're learning. We're not necessarily getting chastised. So it was interesting seeing that shift. I know Chris Avino tweeted about, and like we've talked about before, like sometimes the offensive line has like a a thousand yard stare, but having Tim Drevno on the field, I know Neil Calloway would sometimes walk out and then watch what's happening with the game, but Tim Drevno sat there for a while, um, during defensive drives for USC. So it was interesting seeing the shift. Um, and how things, the dynamic kind of changed. I always, I've talked about the unity as far as the offensive goes, the offensive side of the sideline. And I thought there was a little bit more unity in that sense. So it was interesting to, to see the changes. So
0: basically the offensive linemen were more invested is what you're saying?
1: I don't know if I want to paint it go that far. It okay. seemed like they were. They're more interested. So I, I don't know. It's, it, I get this vibe from Tim Drevno that he's more of like a mentor where they're like, they're more interested in, in, they value what he has to say more. Gotcha. I don't know if that's fair to say to Neil Calloway, but it, it had that appearance.
0: Yeah, and definitely Tim Drevno being on the sideline was a different different look this week, uh, You know, with him taking over those duties with running backs slash run game coordinator slash offensive line now. So he was on the field rather than being up in the booth where he had been previously with T. Martin and, and Nathan Smith and a couple of the other uh, assistant GAs or whatever it may be. So there was a difference there for USC. So you saw him on the sideline. It was interesting to see it's always fun when you watch the the long touchdown runs or long touchdown catches the re, the actions on the sideline and so we actually slowed down one of Arcentric like Ware's and you know, Tim Drevno's like out on the field actually, you know, just kinda you know, watching the play. He's by, back behind the play, but he's just standing out in the field like, dude, you gotta get back. You're gonna get somebody's gonna get in trouble here. Yeah. Uh, but then Brian Ellis is super excited and like, you know, Jack Sears just throws his hands up where his Marshall was jumping up and throwing, you know, fist pumps and stuff. So it's interesting to watch the the dichotomy of uh of reactions to to long plays and stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean none of them are as good as the Adory leaping over uh the Notre Dame kicker though.
1: Oh, what oh yeah, the reactions you the had to that were, were, so were amazing. Anything else for her, you go?
0: Uh Toa lobandon told me, you know, last week when we tried to talk to Toa Lobendon, I was like, What's what's Tim Derevno doing differently? And he's like, Ah, I don't I don't really wanna give away what exactly it is. Um he said it's you know games game plan specific. So what you saw though, and, and I Talk to them a little bit this week just to get uh, confirmation, but what, one of the things you saw different was some pin blocking. So they were getting out and reaching on some of these blocks and then forcing the blocks inside, which is something they hadn't necessarily done previously in the game in the games. And I think it's partly because of the way that Oregon State's defensive front kind of doesn't really attack. They don't. Re- they're not really aggressive. They're more of a you know a wait and see type of defensive front. You know the, the defense tackles and stuff are going to kind of consume blocks and allow the run, linebackers to to run a, run freely a little bit. More more and more of a two-gap system versus one-gap, but I thought that the offensive line did a really good job and Toa in particular on a couple of the long runs of getting out in front and pinning the blocks inside and allowing, you know, to, there to be that creation of that big hole for some of those runs. So it was interesting kind of, he told me actually his brother got onto him for not saying anything last week. He's like, why are you, why are you
1: not, why are you being so secret? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, going forward, do you think that's something that USC will utilize more or is this just a based on the way Oregon state's defensive line works? That's, why it was successful?
0: I think it's a little bit of both. I think that's you know maybe it's a skill set that they you know, haven't because they hadn't done it at all yeah. this season really. Uh, from what I'd watched, I hadn't seen it a lot. Um, so I think this is something. Not necessarily introduced just for Oregon State, but I think it's going to be incorporated a little bit more. Now, it will depend on the front and what kind of looks they're getting from it. Cal is more of an aggressive front. You know, they're going to slant, they're going to do some different things than uh, differently from Oregon State. So I don't think you'll see it as much in this game, but we'll see. You know, it just depends on the game plan and what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, finally, unheard it, I have, uh, yeah. man, go USC where their locker room was at Oregon state. It was like two blocks away. It was crazy. I walking off the field. Luckily I ran into one of USC's like social media account managers. And I was like, do you know where you're going? And she was like, yeah, follow me. And thank God I did. Cause I would never have found it. It was crazy. You had to like go around, go down a tunnel, go this way. It was just crazy. Uh, so I ended up going to the media room, but to do that, you the locker room is pretty open. They have like a curtain that they like draw. So you can't like see in, but it was pretty open. Um, and all of a sudden you can kinda of hear Clay Helton be like, rah, rah, run like his rah-rah yelling voice, and all of a sudden everyone's like screaming, like yelling out this like ah and I was like, What is happening in the locker room? And so Helton told us after the game that like he first credited the players for preparing well, but also the coaching staff for sticking together and he in what he said was one of the toughest weeks imaginable, you know, when you make those type of changes. Um so letting out that primal frustration scream was an interesting way to like kind of unify the team and get over the hump of the challenges that they had coming into the week but I just get this feel from like what players are saying and, and some of the things that Helton is saying is there's this vibe of like whatever it takes like whatever it takes to get out of November successful whatever it takes to end this season on a high note is what they're going to do so it's just interesting how you know maybe these changes have kind of brought this team together unified it it's interesting to see how Clay Helton has kind of maneuvered it that way.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of pent-up frustration with that group. I mean, when when you lose a coach because of uh lack of performance, then there's going to be frustration with the players and that they're not performing as well as they could. You know, the players want to perform well for their coaches for the most part. So, uh you know, I, I think that that's what where that scream came from. It's like, <laughs> "All right, just let it all out. All that stuff you've been pent up for the last couple of weeks when we lose these games, let it go right now." Uh they did, and they showed that on like some of the the social media clips that they have and stuff. Yeah. So you saw it. Um but this team, they have to, you know, if they continue to play well in the offensive line, the defensive line, they'll play well as the season continues. That's the, been the key all season. It's all in football. You know, the key is. Playing well in the trenches—that's one of the biggest, not the key, but one of the biggest things in football. And this team, in particular, they haven't played great all the time. When they do, though, you see what can happen of it. So, uh, if they play well on the offensive line going forward, I think this team can still, you know, can still make a little mini run here. I mean, and that's what they need to do against, uh, you know, with the Pac-12 South being up in the air still. You know, if if some teams help them out, can you get in that Pac-12 championship game? And if they do. You know, they, they could potentially play or Washington State, who they've already beat. So, you know, there'll be confidence there. They could play Washington, who I don't think is very good. You know, I, I think that this team, I mean, it's crazy, but this team could still go to the Rose Bowl at this point.
1: <sighs> it's crazy.
0: It's crazy, for sure. It's show. crazy.
1: Uh, agree, disagree. Shall we? All right. Go there. All uh-huh. right. JT Daniels looks for the deep ball too often. You know, I, I talked about this a little bit when I you know put
0: the tight ends on stock down. I think when the when the tight ends are the shorter option, that's a definite yes. Uh, I definitely agree with it. You know, I think that. He, he's an aggressive quarterback and he wants to get those big plays, but, you know, they're not getting a ton of separation on the outsides at all times. So sometimes you just got to take that underneath throughout and, and, you know, live to fight the, the next play. And I think that's something that you learn as a young quarterback. Young quarterbacks often want to go for the big play, uh, you know, when it isn't always there. And I think, I think he just, he has that much confidence in his guys too. So when, like he, you know, he said in the Washington State game, I think it was, when, it, you know, he had Amon Ra and he, beautiful catch by Amon Ra uh, St. Brown. he said, When did you know that you you know, you know, that was where you're gonna go with the ball. He's like, before the play. <laughs> I saw he had press coverage. And if it's one on one press coverage with Amon Ra St. Brown, I'm gonna I'm gonna trust him almost every time. He's like, I'm almost always gonna go there. Yeah. And so the thing with Devin Williams is he told Devin Williams before, hey if there's press coverage again I'm coming back to you and he did that. Now as a receiver you love that. Yeah, throw it to me. Throw it out here. I don't care about those tight ends at all. Throw it to me. Uh, you, you got the little ego with wide receivers, you know, Keyshawn Johnson, throw me the damn ball. Let's go. Um, But, you know, with him, I, I think that he has confidence in those outside guys. He just has to get to, to where he's more comfortable with the entire offense to where he can find all of his options too.
1: Yeah. So that would be an agree for you. I would agree. Oh, next one. And I feel like you're going to have a heated response. Tyler Vons has a poor demeanor on the field.
0: Oh my gosh. Where are we at? That is incorrect. I mean because he is I think it's because of his his body type. Because he's long and lanky, like he's slinky. He's slinky. That's a good a good way to describe it. He is slinky, and because of that, people perceive that to be he's he's got poor body language. It's like he's always just moping around. I mean he's not Eeyore out there, guys. He he's he's perfectly fine. And people are freaking out about this punt return where he got it with one hand. What is the big deal? Like, Reggie Bush would do that type of thing, and nobody's like, oh my God, he's just, he's got a poor attitude. (laughs) What are you talking about? This is not poor attitude. He has a little swagger, maybe. But then also, you saw he grabbed the ball. It was on a bounce. He grabs the ball out of the air, and then when he turns and sees there's a defender coming close, he wraps it. He puts two hands on the ball. He he cradles the ball and wraps it up and goes out of bounds. He actually was injured on the play, guys. Very nice of you to point out. You know all his negative things on the play. He's getting injured on. He got an ankle. He got uh, nicked up a little bit and had to leave for a little bit of the game before coming back. But oh, you get ready for pointing that out, guys. You're uh, you're, you're tremendous. Uh, Support of the players when they're getting injured and stuff. No, he does not have a bad attitude. That's, that's a terrible take from people. Like, let me get it out. Break it out again. Yeah, that's it. That's you guys should get. That's the third one. Three strikes and you're out here at Family Feud.
1: Wow. I, I knew it was heated. I love that your your hater voice is like some like weird valley girl. Like he has a poor on the field demeanor. It's that one like, is. There's, I have several. That's true. That's true. I have several voices. There's some in my head.
0: There's some of them that come out on the Family Feud podcast. Who knows?
1: Voices in your head. Interesting. Uh,
0: Who who you think tells me all this great information?
1: (laughs) So do you think (laughs) – I I, I guess people don't think that he's moping around. I think they think he's too casual, which I think you might make some sort of argument that he's maybe a little too casual, but at the same time, that's who he is. Like You're not going to make guys change their – who they are. I, I don't think that's authentic and I don't think that, that flies when you're with a, a team for as long as you are. I mean, Adoree Jackson was the same way. People hated Adoree Jackson. How dare he smile after the team loses? You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't
0: think that Tyler, I mean, I, I think the, the error that people perceive is that Tyler Vaughn is too cool for school, but I, I don't think that's the case.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, even during the game, like Tyler was like, Encouraging defensive players, was yelling on the sideline. He's very involved. I mean, when Greg Johnson came off hurt, he was like patting Greg on the back and like walking him to the bench. Like, just because he's casual or Whatever you want to describe it doesn't mean that he's not invested. There's definite differences.
0: Yeah, he's he's definitely he's one of the more emotional guys on that offense. Whereas like uh, Michael Pittman will scream and be excited at, occasionally, but Michael Pittman is very stoic with his with his emotions compared to Tyler Vaughn's. Tyler Vaughn, especially now, Tyler Vaughn's when he scores, he looks like he doesn't care. When Tyler Vaughn's, when someone else scores, like he's the happiest guy out there. Yeah. So, and I love that. I lo- Najee Harris was the same way. At, you know, when I saw him in high school. It was the thing I came away most impressed by. Najee Harris ran for like 170 yards or 200 yards and three touchdowns the game I, I saw him at, including like an 80 yard touchdown. This is like long touchdown run. He, he gets to the end zone, he just flips the ball to the referee and he jogs off the field. There's no emotion. There's no smile on his face, no nothing. But then later in the game, in the fourth quarter, he's not even playing. He's got his shoes off. He has his cleats taken off. He's, he's standing on the sideline in his socks. Some freshman running back or something picks up a first down and, like, breaks a tackle. And he is the most excited guy on the sideline. And I feel like Tyler Vons has that similar thing where it's not about him. It's more about the team. He's more excited for his teammates. He's there when a guy like Greg Johnson comes off the field. But some reason when, you know, when he gets the ball in his hands he doesn't have a lot of emotion The same thing with you know with the punt return he grabs it and he looks and he goes out of bounds now he started with one hand on the ball okay whatever i don't care uh i think that he's a guy that you know is definitely invested in this team i don't i think the perception that people have and the questions we received after that i mean they they're just there's just incorrect
1: agreed yeah I, I don't think it's no emotion i just think he's very serious when he scores like he just has like a like a flex like you can't see what the face I'm making right now, but just imagine <laughs> it in your mind. Um, and, and to your point, guess who's dancing behind Akra Sedgwick where on the third touchdown? It's Tyler Rollins. So, you know, I don't know. I just don't know. This is a big disagree. We can move on. Yep, <laughs> How about that? Definitely. I use
0: the strike. We're good. We're good. We you, three strikes and they're out.
1: True. Agree, disagree. USC's perceived improvement doesn't count since it was against a lesser opponent in Oregon State.
0: Hmm. I can't give a true agree or disagree on this. You have to. You no, have I to. I don't you have to do to. anything.
1: Where's my soundboard?
0: You will not get one. You, uh, you <laughs> failed to use it properly last week when you had an opportunity. Whatever. Uh, so it, because honestly, the entire Pac-12 is a lesser opponent than USC as far as talent wise. I thought Utah so, Utah matched a little bit. No, they're they're straight talent. No, I don't think so. Now they've been coached up, and they're they're they have some really good players on that team. Yes. But with the way you worded the question, I can't give a true agree or disagree. Now, how much should you take away from Oregon State game? Not that much. If that answers your question, then not that much because Oregon State's not, they're they're bad. They're not they're not just okay. They're bad. They're a bad team. Now they're on the rise with Jonathan Smith. I think he's doing some good things there. You know, getting alumni back. But right now they're a bad team. So they they shouldn't beat anybody in this Pac-12. I don't know how the hell they came Ooh, back
1: from spicy. twenty-eight
0: points at Colorado. Which probably tells you all you need to know about the Pac 12 South. That they could lose. Colorado's not good. I know that, that a Pac 12 South team could lose one up by 28 points at home against the worst team in the North and one of the worst teams in the Power Five. That,
1: that tells you how bad is. Hasn't won an away South. game in years. Yeah, exactly. It's just not good. So you lean more agree on that one. I guess. I'm leaner. a leaner. I'm a leaner. A leaner. Clay Helton is making a mistake by keeping Tolo Badon at center. Hmm.
0: I think I'm going to disagree with this. Really? Now, and interestingly, you know, he had two bad snaps in this game. The rest of them, that maybe there were one or two that little off. You disagree? You you watch it. You are looking at the quarterback every single play from a different angle than anybody else. So, what do you think?
1: I thought it was medium. Does that, <laughs> does, that does that make sense at all? It it wasn't it wasn't a, his best performance. It wasn't his worst.
0: So the two bad snaps thing- are what everyone is.
1: Yeah, and the thing is, is if USC's playing anyone else, those those two bad snaps have a much more impact. I thought it was a little a little, it made me raise an eyebrow when Clay Helton was like, he he only had two bad snaps, like only two. It's like, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, and one of them was a third down play, and they had it. You know, Amon Ross St. Brown was open for the pass, uh, but obviously you can't throw a pass if you can't catch the ball to to from the snap. So. I, it's tough for me to say that you should get rid of, of Toa uh, from the center spot because you're going to have to move him somewhere else. So the the question becomes, do you have more confidence? Because you're probably moving him to the right guard spot uh, for um, Andrew Voorhees because he's graded out the lowest of any of the, the offensive linemen. So if you move him there, do you have more confidence in Andrew Voorhees or Brett Neilan, who would be the guy to come in? Now, what's to say that Brett Neilan all his snaps are perfect? I don't know. I mean – we haven't seen it. We've seen him one game and I think there were a couple of snaps that weren't great, but there weren't the, the boss snaps that they've had in the, in this past couple of weeks. And, you know, I think Toa feels more confident. He, he's, he was using more velocity on his snaps this week. So, you know, I, I think maybe he's heading in the right direction. We'll see if it continues against a better team, you know, when he's worried about trying to get that block against, you know, a 330 pound defensive tackle this week. So we'll see. I don't think I would move him, especially at this point in the season. Yeah.
1: That's the thing.
0: you're you're nine you're nine games in of a twelve game season, so you're seventy five percent in your season. I don't think you're making drastic changes at this point.
1: True. But the fact that you're saying you're saying the center is getting the hang of snapping at week nine is also not good either.
0: I think with Tim Drevno, I think Trevno gives him more confidence. Drevno's a guy that, you know, Toa had been talking to throughout the year anyways, because he's his former offensive line coach, so you know, I, I think with him there, I think that gives him more confidence. I mean, last week he said he thought it was going to be a perfect snapping week, um, and he was he was great about it after the game. He, I tweeted out the story that I wrote about him last week, and he said, "I guess I jinxed myself."
1: Yeah, uh, he tweeted back at that.
0: Yeah, I told him, I told him uh, this week. I was like, oh, "I'll take the I'll take the blame for the jinx on it." You know, I'll, <laughs> I take all jinxes over here That's as good. a media member. Uh, I'm I'm just trying to say that I have that much power that I jinx everything.
1: Wow, but you don't? No, I don't. Agree, disagree. This one I, I, I don't even agree with. I don't, I'm not sure. Preview. <laughs> Clay Helton should have kept Justin Wilcox as defensive coordinator.
0: Ooh. Ooh. Yeah.
1: I saved the best for last. Mm.
0: I think that would have been hard to do. I mean, you already had all the... the... Go ahead.
1: I was about to say, I was going to put context around it because you're coming off of the Pac-12 championship game. In twenty fifteen, where Christian McCaffrey
0: destroyed everyone.
1: Destroyed everyone. And and you guys in the press box heard the defensive coaches freaking out from the from the press box. So I think at that point I think at that point with context, it made sense.
0: Which tells you how much injuries play a a factor because Cam Smith was out, you know, torn ACL at that His point. Freshman year. Uh, so Elijah Wan Tucker was the guy that was in there, and that's who Christian McCaffrey beat on an angle route and went I think 75 80 yards which you know I think it was a one score uh, game at the point at that point and he runs that and opens things up and you know Stanford walked away with that game I think he ended up with like 270 280 total yards it or was something it was you know he was he was a beast in that game and he, you're seeing in the NFL now that he's doing the same thing so it wasn't just you know some freak thing but you're coming off that game you know that is a you know very poor performance I think they gave up 45 points in that game. So, you know, the defense was, you know, the defensive coordinator was under a lot of fire. And so you're coming in as a new head coach. You want to try to put your stamp on the program. How much relationship does he have with Justin Wilcox? I think they were there together for two years, and offensive co- and defensive coaches don't always hang out all the time. So yeah. I don't know. But, I mean, they're close enough that everyone, they call him J-Dub. Really? You have not heard that? That no. was the, the thing that stood out the most. Clay Hunt was like, oh, yeah, J-Dub. And I'm like, well, j Jay what? When did he say this? He said it during the Trojans Live, I believe, and then he wow. said it during one of his uh one of his uh post practice scrums, and then Tim Drevno yesterday said J Dub. And I was like,
1: Jade, what is this J Dub stuff? Wow, J Dub. What? <laughs> I was I was what is going on here? Don't do that. <laughs> You've been so there's no positive sound bites or sound effects in this podcast. I don't have the ding oh. from I mean We tried you- to find it all oh.
0: Well, some crowd applause, but that's true, about it.
1: True, yeah, that's a little odd. Yeah, but so you would disagree with that? Yeah, I would disagree. I think so too.
0: I, I plus, th- plus, I think if if your eyes are set on Clancy Pendergast, who I think Clay Helton really um, respects and really thought that he did a really good job when he was at USC the first time, then you got to make a change. And, and Clancy Pendergast was, uh, I think, it was uh, unemployed at the time, so. If he's out there available, you go get him, and that's what they did. I think, it might, or maybe it was linebackers coach for San Francisco, but uh, I think he, they had their eyes set on him. You know, when, once he got the job, and he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna go make my mark, and he's gonna get his guy." So you gotta go get your own guys.
1: You do, and and to give more context, that was when USC was "bin don't break" and wouldn't really blitz, and it was I remember just being so frustrated. That's not how USC, with their their speed and their talent, should play defense. So.
0: Yeah, you would think you would have more an aggressive style with all the athletes that you have. And, you know, the, the Pete Carroll days was all, you would see the, the linebackers and safeties were flying around everywhere. Yeah. And that was the thing. And if you're not, if you're sitting back all the time, you're making your defense passive and you're making all your, you know, your five star athletes that are better athletes than the guys in front of them, you're making them react to the other team rather than, you know, uh, you know, forcing the issue and causing the offense to react to you.
1: True. Moving on to questions. We got. A couple questions from Ted from Manhattan Beach, close to where we're recording right now. He says, with Clay Helton calling the plays, did it feel as grab bag of an offense as it has in the past? Did you feel like there was more of a scheme where certain plays early in the game set up other plays or variations of the earlier plays later in the game?
0: I felt that that was exactly the case. I thought that they were, you know, in particular, the under center formation with Vi and Sedware in the backfield together as Vi as a fullback, which they used a couple times on fourth and one. Uh, they handed the ball out to Vi Malapai. Later in the game, they get down towards the goal line they run a play action off of that to throw it to Tyler Vaughn's on a you know a, a, a route in the back of the end zone there's a pass interference the very next play they go back to the same formation and they hand the ball off to said where with Vi as lead blocker so that's three different plays they use all this formation rather than earlier in the season you would see when they would you know when they broke out the uh, when they broke out the thor package with Brett Neilan or they broke out uh, you know with the the tight eye with him in the backfield as well you know they didn't build off the plays they ran. They ran the, the Thor package really well. I think it was the Stanford or the Texas game, uh, but there was there was only one play off of it. There was, they were running the left every single time. They didn't really build off that and say, okay, well, let's go play action off of it. It just seemed like, okay, we got this one play. We really like this play it's in this formation we don't use any other time. So if you're defense, you look at them like, okay, they, they only run this play out of this this formation. So let's just stack over to, this, the, to their left side and we'll take care of this. Which you saw a couple games later when they tried to run it and they got completely shut down, I think, in the Arizona or Wazoo game after they had run it a couple times.
1: Yeah, it seemed like there were actual layers to the, to the offense. There was dimension. Layers? Layers. Ted also wants to know, with the safeties and secretary, secondary being so depleted, why doesn't anyone talk about Devontae Nunnery?
0: Uh, because Devontae Nunnery has been one of the depleted ones. I mean, he's barely practiced this uh, season. He's practiced, I would guess, off the top of my head, 30% of the practices this year. Um, so he's been injured as well, and I, I didn't even see him yesterday. No, so,
1: I don't think so either. The, the general rule with like people we report on and, and what we talk about, if you do not if you aren't hearing their name a lot especially in situations around injuries, it probably means that they're either the coaches don't really like to use them or they're just not around at this point
0: yeah if you're not performing we're not going to talk about you I'm like I mean unless it's the number one quarterback and oh he's not playing well it's like the back you don't hear about Matt Fink like oh he threw a bad pass today what is the use in bringing that up? Yeah. Because then you're, you're basically just trashing a player for no reason. Well, they're a backup for a reason because they're not as good. So they, if they make a bad play, you're like, okay, well, that's why they're the backup. Yeah. Uh, so and especially with Devontae Nonary probably the fourth-string safety or sixth-string safety coming into the season. So you're not going to talk about a sixth-string safety ever. And now, when he works works his way up, but he's been injured, so he hasn't been in there, uh, so you haven't seen him much. The guy that would be in consideration to be talked about, and especially with walk ons, we're not going to talk about walk ons unless they're you know doing something special. Jordan McMillan is actually the walk-on at that safety position that they, uh, that they've, you know, Clancy Pendergast has said and also Clay Helton would be the next guy up if there was another injury with the safety. So not Devontae Nunnery, but actually Jordan McMillan, freshman out of Loyola, I believe, where he actually, he actually played linebacker in high school. Uh, but they really like him so far. He's a young guy as far as walk-on. So he might be a guy that is a, potential future scholarship guy with the way they're talking about him now as a young guy.
1: Yeah. Clancy like said, I'm still getting used to him. And he was like, you guys are probably still getting used to him too, because you've been seeing more of him just because the safety is yeah. just so depleted. Fun fact, I actually jumped Devonte Nunnery's car once. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice of you. He was broken down in front of my apartment senior year.
0: So not Kobe Bryant jumped his car. No, no, okay. <laughs> no. Didn't know if you're showing that raw athleticism and uh, vertical that you got,
1: <sighs> you know, me shotgun, <laughs> Ted also wants to know, how does the Mike linebacker play a role related to gap integrity for the defense?
0: Well, the Mike linebacker kind of sets the entire defense. So he's making the call. So he's going to tell you where you're going as far as that goes. So based on that, each player knows where they have to be. Uh, So based off the call. But also the Mike linebacker has his own. uh, He has his own gap that he has to take care of. And that was kind of the issue with Pali and Iteote in that first half of the Arizona State game is that he was getting out of his gap and that was leading to some of those bigger runs.
1: That's it for questions. What? That's all we got. How do you think this game is going to go? Uh,
0: I I think that it's going to be pretty close, but you know, the the track history is that USC gets up big on Cal at home, and then Cal kind of slowly comes back in. And you're at the end, and you're like, wait, it's actually a game. This is closer than I thought it was. When I thought this was going to be a blowout.
1: That seems like a a general a theme. Yeah, but team.
0: especially with Cal. I mean, Cal more than just like the last year and a half. Like that's been the theme the last uh, the last two years for USC. But Cal, every time they played at USC at home, uh, last I want to say the last three times that's happened. Um, and then when they play on the road, a lot of times they did blow them out. Um, but it was close last year, so who knows? Uh, I think that that. Cal has an advantage with Justin Wilcox being the defense coordinator against uh, Clay Helton because he kind of knows what Clay Helton likes to run. You know, they've been in the same system, they've, they've talked. And stuff in the offices, I'm sure. So I think he has a better idea than Clay has of the Justin Wilcox defense, just because the defense can adapt a little bit more than the offense. I think, especially when you go somewhere, you go to Wisconsin. I think you learn a little bit more. You go now, you got Tim Deruder. Uh, whereas Clay, it, it's you know, if it's his offense, it's still the same one as it was two years ago. It's not going to be some vast difference because there's been no new faces to come in and change things up.
1: Yeah, exactly. What's your score prediction, though?
0: I think we said what did I say, 21-17 on the show. I mean could end up be 28 to 24. I think it was a four-point
1: variance there. Okay.
0: I mean, the – uh what's Vegas got it at five? Five, so you
1: take them
0: under. I'm going to go with uh, Cal covering and being close. But you never know with this USC – I mean, if the offensive line plays well, they could, it could blow them out still too. Because I don't think that – I don't think the Cal offense is very good. And there's Patrick Laird, and then there's a bunch of meh.
1: Meh, yeah. That's the thing. Like, I <laughs> – I don't know how I feel. I don't know what to feel about this because I've always, my my gut slash strategy is whenever a defense forces USC to actually sustain drives and be a real offense, I don't think it ever goes well. And now you have Pittman out. And USC's offense the last couple of weeks has been like a m- mash of Michael Pittman and pass interference offense. You know, you're taking one of those out of the equation with Michael Pittman. I, I know Devin Williams has really stepped up and, and they're going to try and use Almond Raw more, but I just don't, they're not Michael Pittman in that sense. Um, so I'm very curious how, what this offense looks like.
0: I think that's why the the offensive line, the running game is more important this game. True. Very especially true. especially the first down. You know, last game, you know, there were a lot of second and threes, second and four, second and five versus second and seven to second and twelve, which has been the case a lot more this season than you know, second and short. So I, I think if they get, you know, five yards on first down or eight yards, that changes the complexion of the play calls. You can do a lot more on second and one, you can throw that deep ball. you, know, you take that shot and then you can pick it pick it up if you you know if you throw incomplete. You're picking it up on third and one. You have faith that you can pick up one yard on third down. Whereas if it's second and eight and you throw that deep ball, now it's third and eight. Now you got third and long and you put yourself in a bad situation. You got to throw it again. You don't have the option of doing uh, different things. And they did some different things in the third and shorts. I mean, they did, you know, they threw a little quick um, quick pass out to Vi out of the backfield, you know, instead of him you know, handing the ball off to him. So they did some different things that, that I liked. Uh, you'll see some of that on our film study when we post it. Uh, but I think that. The offense, it all starts with the offense line. If they run the ball, then they'll they they'll be able to they'll be fine passing the ball because, you know, then Cal will have to key on the run.
1: Yeah, I just I just feel like this is gonna be a real test for JT. I mean, how much confidence do you have in him to read some of Cal's coverages?
0: And that's gonna be a tough part. I mean, Clay called it uh what do you call their defense? A
1: nightmare scheme. A nightmare wise.
0: scheme, guys. Yeah. So, their defense does a lot of different things with coverages. They move guys around a lot. So, you know, if they mess up, that means they, there's big plays waiting to happen. But that hasn't been the case. They've been very sound in that and they move guys around a lot. So, it puts a lot of onus on the quarterback to, hey, you've got to read this defense. You've got to pick apart what they're trying to do. And again, a true freshman, I don't, any for true freshman, I really think JT is the best high school quarterback that, I, that I've seen so far. But I don't trust any high school, I mean, any true freshman coming in and being able to, you know, play against a complicated defense. So I think it's up to the running game to make things easier on him.
1: And that's where I am i don't, I just don't feel confident. But I don't, on the other hand, I don't feel confident in Kyle's offensive ability. I feel like it's going to be a weird game where both offenses are not going to be good. And USC is going to have to be perfect and take advantage of when they get into the red zone. And I don't really have confidence in that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> I mean, this Cal Cal team has won their last. They won against Washington 12 to 10. They lost last week 19 to 13. So the fact that I'm giving out even score numbers is probably wrong. There'll be some random safety in there somewhere, or Cal throw an interception and yeah. force a fumble that goes out of the back of the end zone for a touchback because that's what happened last week.
1: Yeah. I'm going to say, like, I don't know. I t- I'm going to regret this, but I think USC loses. Wow. You're going to be wrong,
0: but that's okay. That's
1: fine. I've been wrong before. That's fine. You know, my gut radar was off last week. I think it's still kind of off, but (laughs) let's just go with it. How about that? All right, whatever. Next week, you can give me the little incorrect button if I'm wrong.
0: You sure? Next week?
1: I knew you were going to do it now, so why not? (laughs) All That's going to wrap it up. That is Shotgun Spratling. I'm Keely Orr. We will hear you. You'll hear us next week.
0: Peace.